you've probably uh, had a, a time in your life where you've met someone who was uh, very um, forceful in the way that they expressed their opinions and held them uh, very strongly. Uh, you might know someone like this, though, you, you know, they, you, you kind of put up with them, um, but you also kind of were scared every time they opened their mouth that you were going to kind of uh, uh, be uh, sort of destroyed with some sort of epic truth bomb. Uh, likewise, uh, you probably know kind of someone on the total opposite side of the spectrum who uh, never said anything uh, about what they believed, was very loving, always agreeing, uh, always uh, very nice and kind, uh, and uh, sometimes you just wish they'd tell you what they really thought. Um, they were sort of so nice it almost seemed fake, perhaps. Uh, you you, you kind of might uh, think you uh, know someone like that, very agreeable, uh, very nice, very caring, but you know, every now and again you just wanted to find out what they really thought about something. Well, as we consider the book of, or the letter of John, uh, 1st John, and we're going to do all three of his letters uh, over the next month uh, or so, what, what we have is uh, an encouragement from John to hold both truth and love together and to keep those things balanced as we seek to be people of, uh, of the light and of the love of God. And he's going to talk to us about uh, how God holds these things together, the light or the truth and the love. And we'll see how that all unfolds in his letter. Uh, the Apostle John, uh, for those of you uh, who are not aware, uh, was probably most likely the longest living uh, of the 12 uh, apostles. He uh, ended up, we think, uh, in Ephesus. So you, uh, if you know uh, much of the Bible, you know there's a, a letter that Paul wrote to the, the church that was planted in Ephesians. We read about that church uh, getting planted in the book of Acts. And uh, people think, based on uh, church history, that what happened was uh, after the destruction of Jerusalem in about AD 70, uh, John's kind of made his way uh, up to Ephesus. He obviously spends some time in jail on the island of Patmos and writes the book of Revelation. Um, but uh, Ephesus was uh, likely his base. And it's likely that the town of Ephesus was one of the central hubs of the early church. Persecution in Rome was pretty intense. Persecution in Jerusalem was pretty intense. And it's likely that uh, as, as uh, Jerusalem was destroyed, as persecution was picking up throughout the empire, that uh, a lot of Christians made their home in Ephesus. Now, just because uh, there were lots of Christians uh, living there doesn't mean that it was a Christian city, of course. Uh, and uh, the town uh, ret retained much of its character that it uh, had when Paul visited uh, that we read about in Acts chapter 19. Uh, and uh, when Paul visited, he had great success. Uh, many people uh, came to follow the Lord Jesus and uh, this resulted in drastic action because Ephesus, part of its wealth was pagan worship 
had a big temple uh, in the city that people came to, uh, lots of uh, trades built up around servicing the, the, the rituals of this pagan temple. And so when uh, people become Christians, they kind of realise that they need to stop doing this. They need to stop being involved in this pagan worship. And so we read that as they come to hear the gospel, the good news about Jesus, that they take drastic action. Acts 19 verse 19, a number who had practised sorcery bought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, 50,000 days wages. In today's money, 12 and a half million dollars of books just chucked in a fire. I always think uh, with that verse, it's interesting that it says uh, they, it, it seems to imply that they've burnt the scrolls and then figured out how much they cost. Uh, and uh, I think that was probably a good method uh, of radical obedience uh, before they realised uh, that it was 12 and a half million bucks going up in smoke. But we see, don't we, that living and loving God means uh, for the Christians then and, and for us today, living differently. And uh, having a, a deep love for God uh, because of his deep love for us uh, means that uh, as we live differently, we need to hold fast to his word and submit to the truth of Jesus and, and whatever that means for us and whatever the cost is. And this letter, as I've sort of hinted at, does uh, oscillate around these two big ideas, that God is light, uh, that, that in him is truth, and that God is love. We see the, the light in our reading today in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And we'll see in later chapters of the love of God. For example, 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not know, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. One of the most, one of the very famous passages of scripture. John writes this letter to the Christians in Ephesus and most likely as a circular letter to all the churches in that region, as then it was known, Asia Minor, uh, to uh, make sure that Christians hold on to right belief, the light, the truth and right behaviour, living out the love of God. And he's concerned that they do this in a society that is extremely pagan and constantly calling them away from Christ. Well, John begins his letter with a, a, a statement of his authority and that what it is that he is proclaiming. He begins, verse 1, uh, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. John has authority because of what he has witnessed and seen and touched and felt. Not only that, but it's not just the fact that he saw it, it's what he saw. He's a witness to the word of life. Verse 2, the life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. The word of life witnessed 
and proclaimed by John as an authoritative uh, uh, individual who saw it, who was taught by Jesus, and who now passes on this uh, uh, good news to the churches. He goes on to say that uh, this word of life witnessed and now proclaimed uh, builds fellowship or unity as we gather around uh, the truths that John is proclaiming. We proclaim to you, verse 3, what we have seen and heard so that you may also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. John's seen it, he's heard it, and now he's telling it so that the church may be united in the same fellowship with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. It's a unity that comes through unity with God, which comes through the truth. And it's important to, to just pause uh, at this point and note this, and note that unity for John is a fruit that we enjoy as we focus on our true fellowship with God. Uh, we have fellowship with one another in as much as we share fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. And, and when we fail to base our lives on the, the light and truth of the, the proclaimed word of life, we have no fellowship with the Father and the Son. We have no fellowship with one another. One of the great tragedies of, uh, of mo much modern-day Christianity is that it seeks unity first and fellowship with God second. But, of course, that completely... Uh, mixes things up. That's, the, that's uh, the cart before the horse. Unity is a fruit we enjoy as we focus on Christ. You, you want to feel more unified with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Encourage them in the truth. Encourage them to know more of God and his light and love. And as you do that, you, your joy will be complete as John's was, as they enjoyed fellowship, as they based their lives on their fellowship with God, whom they knew through the truth of the gospel. John moves on now to talk about the difference between God and us. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, verse 5, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Which is very different to you and I and the world in which we live. And it also tells us something about the kind of life we ought to live if we're claiming to have fellowship with God. Verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, walk outside God's truth, we lie and do not live out the truth. So we need to walk in the light, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. Again, we see that fellowship with God, walking in the light, leading to fellowship with one another. We also see the necessity of faith leading to fellowship. 
There are all sorts of people out there who say that they love Jesus, but they don't want to have anything to do with a Christian fellowship, often called a church. But of course, we see that not only does uh, unity need to come from truth, but also unity and fellowship does come from truth. So just like if you want to have a united body of Christians, then you need to uh, focus your lives on the truth of, of Jesus and the gospel and the light and love of God, so too if you're focusing on those things, you will naturally end up in fellowship. The idea that your faith is simply a personal thing between you and God and no fellowship is required just simply doesn't stack up. Fellowship is a fruit of a gospel-centred life. By walking in the light, we, lead, we, we, we have fellowship with God, which leads to fellowship with others who share this same uh, centre of gravity, who, who share this same hope for the future and for now. So what does that look like? This walking in the light, this uh, not in, walking not in darkness, this uh, fellowship with God that leads to fellowship with one another. Well, we notice next that John tells us it's not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time decision that we make and then uh, carry on with our lives. It's an ongoing process. Verse 8... If we claim to be without sin, we deceive, that, deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. It's very easy to think that John, having just told us that if we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth, that he's calling us to perfection that he's calling us to some sort of uh, life that you and I know in our heart of hearts we have not achieved. Oh, we read verse uh, 7 and we think, oh, uh, I might be a liar. But then, of course, he's quick to add in the blood of Jesus who purifies us from sin and that we, of course, have sinned, all of us, all of us constantly battling with sin. This is, in fact, part of what the light of God in our lives does. It reveals sin. The, 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 his word in us shows us that our lives are not up to his glorious light status. Walking in the light does not look like perfection. No, John says, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Uh, what walking in the light is, is having our darkness exposed constantly and so constantly seeking to walk in repentance and faith. As sin is exposed, repenting, having faith, trusting in the forgiveness that is won through Christ on the cross and allowing God to continue to work in us. Verse 
repentance and faith in a God of light who in his love grants forgiveness of sin, enabling ongoing fellowship. And having said all this, John reminds us uh, that uh, uh, this is indeed the heart of our faith. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. We are called to acknowledge our sins, like in verse 8, and then to trust in God's work for us on the cross through his son, Jesus Christ, as enough as having paid the price for our sins and so enabling our ongoing fellowship with him and therefore with one another. It's really important as a church, as a Christian, that we take this seriously. Because one of the things that John's telling us here is that fellowship with God which leads to the fruit of fellowship with one another, uh, is, is predicated on allowing God's light, God's truth to penetrate our hearts, reveal the darkness within us, and then confessing that and allowing uh, God's work on the cross to be enough and finding forgiveness in that and then moving forward. It's why... Uh, it's so important that we don't trick people into uh, thinking that they don't have a sin problem. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Some of the big issues facing the wider uh, church, the Anglican church, are issues because People are trying to say that sin is not sin. And that is a dangerous road to go down. False teaching is telling someone ultimately that they are walking in the light without repentance, without allowing the light of God to actually come and deal with their darkness and without going to the cross for their salvation. Sin matters. David Jackman, a scholar, says, to redefine sin and to fail to be convicted of it as sin in our lives is a certain indication that we are not walking in the light. A true Christian will find the searchlight of God's truth constantly exposing the parts of his or her life that need to be confessed as sin and left behind through the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit. Walking in the light means living each day with God who is light. The nearer I come to God, the more conscious I shall be of my own sin and rebellion. So the greatest saints have always been conscious of themselves as the worst of sinners, like Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15. Christians who live in God's light 
do not find it difficult to walk together in fellowship. The light shows the way ahead and enables them to coordinate their actions and move forward in harmony. Where Christians are at variance or separate from one another, it is always true that someone is already walking out of fellowship with Christ. This doesn't mean we're going to agree about everything, but that is not the essence of fellowship anyway. It's about loving one another, valuing one another, so that we can agree to differ without severing ties, severing the ties that bind us together as sons and daughters of the light. As Christians who have fellowship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, who seek to walk in the light and have our lives exposed by the light, we need to take sin seriously. For to diminish sin is to diminish Christ and his work on the cross. Instead, we need to realise that though sin is terrible, we need not fear it. Instead, we trust the powerful work of Christ. Again, let me read to you from the end of our reading today. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, you do not need to hide it from God. You cannot hide it from God. You do not need to hide it from me or your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Because if you sinned, Whatever that sin, come and confess. Confess it to God. Confess it to those who are walking in the light with you. And experience God's love. And I hope you'll experience the love of your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who want to help you continue to walk in the light. Christ's atoning sacrifice for sin is an atoning sacrifice for your sin. Not mine, well, yes, mine, but not just mine, yours and mine and anyone who's seeking to walk in the light, who's seeking to repent and trust in that powerful work on the cross. God forgives, God purifies, And every one of our sins can be covered by the death of Christ. God is light and he wants to deal with our darkness. He wants to deal with your darkness. And so today, hear his call, his loving call, to walk in repentance and faith and seek to grow in his light and his love.